0: Because he sees his own interest as more important than his country's interest, than America's interest. And because his bruised ego matters more to him than our democracy or our constitution, he can't accept he lost.
1: Good morning and welcome to The Deal. I'm your host, Ed Clark. It is Saturday, January 8th, 2022. Jesus, man, I can't believe it. We made it through the holidays and we're so thankful to be back uh, with you guys uh, today. Uh, Thanks for joining us and thanks for the folks who have been along with us for the ride. You know, this program started uh, because of COVID-19. We were not sure what we're going to be able to do in terms of uh, the program that Val Atkinson and I do. On the radio called Connections, which is on Sundays on Foxy107-104, uh in the Raleigh Durham market. And also if you go to FoxyNC.com, you can stream it from anywhere in the world. And uh we couldn't go into the station, everything was going in lockdown. So we started doing this on Saturdays to try to give uh another take on uh a lot of the topics that we talk about, but also to maybe broaden it out a little bit more. Um and in 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 So where we are right now is that, you know, uh, the country is still fighting COVID. Uh, We are coming off of the anniversary of 1-6. And you saw in the opening there, uh, Joe Biden, uh, I think his strongest rebuke of uh, Donald Trump and what happened on 1-6 and finally saying that Donald Trump, hey, you lost. This is over. Uh, I do want to before we get started, before I bring Val Atkinson in, I, w- I want to play a clip of uh, also the Vice President Kamala Harris.
2: They were and what they were doing when our democracy came under assault. Dates that occupy not only a place on our calendars, but a place in our collective memory. December 7th, 1941. September 11th, 2001, and January 6th, 2021. On that day, I was not only vice president-elect, I was also a United States senator. And I was here at the Capitol that morning at a classified hearing with fellow members of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Hours later, the gates of the Capitol were breached. I had left, but my thoughts immediately turned not only to my colleagues, but to my staff.
1: One of the things that strikes me, Val, is that there are people like uh, Ted Cruz who were excoriated by Donald Trump uh, in the run up to his election, and then those people became Trump sycophants. I want you to look at a clip of TED CRUZ ON THE TUCKER CARLSON SHOW AND EXPLAIN TO ME WHY SOMEONE LIKE TED CRUZ IS KOWTOWING DONALD TRUMP. SO WE PLAYED THIS TAPE FOR YOU LAST NIGHT.
3: WE WERE SURPRISED BY IT. WE PREFACED IT BY SAYING EVERY CONSERVATIVE APPRECIATES TED CRUZ BECAUSE HE'S ONE OF THE SMARTEST AND MOST ARTICULATE PEOPLE IN THE CONGRESS AND HE'S CONSERVATIVE. BUT HE REFERRED PUBLICLY TO WHAT HAPPENED ON JANUARY 6TH AS A VIOLENT TERROR ATTACK. HERE IT IS. Uh,
4: WE ARE APPROACHING A SOLEMN ANNIVERSARY THIS WEEK uh, AND IT IS AN ANNIVERSARY OF A VIOLENT TERRORIST ATTACK ON THE CAPITOL.
3: SO I GUESS WHAT I I MEAN, THERE ARE A LOT OF DUMB PEOPLE IN THE CONGRESS. YOU'RE NOT ONE OF THEM. I THINK YOU'RE SMARTER THAN I AM. Uh, AND YOU NEVER USE WORDS CARELESSLY. Um, AND YET YOU CALLED THIS A TERROR attack. When by no definition was it a terror attack. That's a lie. You told that lie on purpose, and I'm wondering why you did. Well, Tucker, thank you for having me on. When you aired your episode last night, I, I sent
4: you a text shortly thereafter and said, listen, I'd like to go on because uh, the way I phrased things yesterday, it, it was sloppy and, and it was frankly dumb. And, I don't and buy result, that. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't buy
3: <laughs> that. For, look, I've known you a long time since before you went to the Senate. You were a Supreme Court contender. You take words as seriously as any man who's ever served in the Senate. And every word you repeated that phrase, I do not believe that you used that accidentally. I just don't.
1: So, Val, uh, Tucker Carlson plays a clip. Ted Cruz says that one six was an insurrection, and the people who (laughs) breached the Capitol should be treated like terrorists, that they you know, did damage the cops and whatever. And then he calls Tucker Carlson, backtracks on everything he says, and wants to take back what he said. It, is it possible that Donald Trump really does have that much sway and control over people to the point where they're terrified to even criticize? Uh, anything that happened
0: on one seat. Well, just looking at Ted Cruz as as an example here, anybody who would allow someone to talk about their wife as he allowed Donald Trump to do and to accuse his father of being a part of the assassination of President Kennedy uh, and and do nothing about it. uh, Really, I can't put the standards of normality on him for anything. So if he'll do that, he'll do anything. So there's no need in trying to figure that out. He did it, Uh, he's he's a crazy guy. He's one of the people who we need to take power away from and see that he never gets it again. And we kind of try to move on from that. One of the things that's very difficult, uh, and I don't think we're doing a very good job at, is trying to show that what I call that mythical middle—that these guys on the other side are crazy—that is something wrong with them, and they are not logical, and they need to be left alone and just allowed to go to their own demise by themselves or whatever. Um, it's like what you and I talk about all the time. It's 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 like a guy standing up in the middle of, 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 of the floor and saying, I believe one and one equals three. And you said, this guy's crazy. And he said, no, I believe that. And you tell him, no, it's two. And you come back three hours later and the guy is still trying to argue to, sh- to prove people that one and one and two. My question would be, who's the idiot here? Who- who's really the idiot? because this guy's taken over the conversation. He's got you arguing about something that everybody already knows and had accepted as fact. And he's got you trying to prove that it ain't. So he's controlling the conversation. He's controlling things. And I think we'll be uh, probably freer, if that's the proper word, once we look at guys like Ted Cruz and say, the idiot does not deserve our attention, our concentration or anything else. We need to be putting time and attention into getting rid of him, doing whatever we can to make him go away. And we haven't done a real good job at that. Uh, most most of them have not. I'm proud to say that you and I have because we know how to handle that guy. But... Uh, Ted Cruz is one of those guys that has no uh, principles, no values, no tenants, no anything except uh, being reelected. And he has determined that if he gets on the wrong side of Donald Trump, he cannot win a primary race. And if he can't win a primary, you can't win the general election. So that explains what he does and how he does it for what reason is, is, untenable, you can't explain it away, you can't make any sense out of it. That's just who and what he is and why, I don't care. I just know one and one or two, and I'm not gonna argue with him that, whether he's three or not, he can do what he wants to do about that. Well, you know,
1: uh, Ted Cruz, irrespective of him and, and, and the rest of the idiots in the Congress that we have to deal with, real people, still believe some of this nonsense, Val, you know, the QAnon people and everything else. And all of this is being driven by the big lie. Uh, uh, I think everybody settled on that as the term to call it, which is that the election of Joe Biden was somehow illegitimate and that um, the vote should not have counted and that. There was this whole... uh, Interworking, 1-6 is just one day. It actually started well before 1-6 where they had people at the White House, they had people uh, there in Washington trying to figure out how to get Mike Pence to not certify the election. This this is what this all stems from. And one of the things is that places like Arizona, those votes should not have counted. Uh, I want to play a clip real quick about the cyber ninjas. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll talk about that.
3: A lawyer for Cyber Ninjas, the contractor behind Arizona's Partisan Election Review says the company is bankrupt. Just as an Arizona judge rules, the contractor will be fined $50,000 a day if it doesn't turn over public records related to the Republican review. Maricopa County Superior Court Judge John Hanna says former Cyber Ninjas CEO Doug Logan could face individual fines, saying, quote, The court is not going to accept the assertion that Cyber Ninjas is an empty shell and that no one is responsible for seeing that it complies. That would also extend to Cyber Ninja's attorney, Jack Walenchik, who wants to quit. He says he hasn't been paid, but maintains Cyber Ninja's is not subject to the Arizona public
1: records law because it's a private company. So, Val, the Cyber Ninja's say they have no money and, and uh, the company's dissolved. And, and the reason why this is important is because they were given the ballots from the election. And they were supposedly auditing those ballots. And now the companies supposedly belly up and they can't turn that stuff back over to the state of Arizona. So now all of that's up in the air. And for me, this is the problem of these so-called audits that were going on or people wanted to have done by uh, hiring these people who have no skill and ability to do it, one, and two, there was no reason to do it. And I think the big play going into the next election is to put people in place to do just what the cyber ninjas do, which is cloudy, muddy the water, and throw these elections into state houses or even into the Congress to give people like Donald Trump who can't win legitimately a, a leg up. Can you talk to me about the danger of um, messing with the electoral process?
0: Well, without the electoral process, there is no democracy. Uh, we know that. Uh, their strategy, meaning the, the Tea Party and the Trumpers and all of those folks, has always been to create doubt in the mind, so doubt in the mind of uh, Americans that the system will work or that it is working fairly. Uh, And and the more we hear about that, uh, the more some people question it. Uh, And and we have that group of people within our society who uh, want to be fair and they want to give both sides an equal opportunity to be heard and, and they'll listen. And these are the people, they are fodder to this. these two groups I'm talking about, the Tea Party and the One Percenters and Three Percenters and the Proud Boys, Oath Keepers, whatever, uh, Q&R. They, they need these kinds of people to say, uh, tell me more, I don't know yet, uh, prove it. Show it, prove to me that the election was not stolen. You know, trying to prove a negative there. Uh, And some of us are falling right into it, trying to prove that you can't do that. You can't prove a negative. Uh, So they continue to do that because they feel it's a part of their strategy to sow doubt and to create uh, contention. And in doing so, they build other cybernanger groups to come forth the next time to say there's problems here. Uh, We can't use these ballots because they've been solved. They've been turned over. They are no longer credible. And so the whole election has to be thrown out. This is is what our good friend Eric Joyner talks about all the time when he talks about elections at the state and local levels, why they are so important is because that's when the real decisions are made as to how are you going to manage and administer this thing called democracy? Uh, Are you gonna allow a a small group of people to determine whether the, uh, a small group of partisan people to determine whether the outcome of the election was fair or not? If you do that, uh, the people might as well not vote. It doesn't matter because this little small partisan group over here is gonna say, well, if candidate A doesn't win, it was fixed. Why? Because candidate A said so before the election. So if candidate A wins, then everything is fine. If candidate B wins, it was fixed and we got to throw that out and award the election to candidate A and the, the dullest knife in the drawer can look through that until you don't have a democracy anymore. So let's start stop playing games about it and stop pretending. And that's when I think the, the weaker side of, of our nation will probably stand up and say, you know, we should have done something about this a long time ago. No, you were back arguing where the one and one was actually two. That's why you didn't do anything about it. You're trying to convince people in the middle, that mythical middle, to come over to your side. And the other side was reloading and reloading their guns and firing at you all the while when you were trying to convince people that one and one or two. So, and now we're here and it's time to fight, but they got all of the power. And now if you fight, it's going to be a crime and they're going to put you in jail.
1: Well, and I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up. And that may be a good place for us to break this conversation uh, because when in the next segment,, uh, and I don't want to be hyperbolic Val, but we are in dangerous territory. Uh, there are people who have talked about civil war and that kind of thing. There are rallies that go on where where they ask, you know, when are we get to use our guns? you know, And those people who showed up on 1 six, some of them had bombs. Some of them had guns. They attacked, attacked legislators. They said, "Hang Mike Pence." They were looking for Nancy Pelosi. They stole, they stole sensitive documents. They desecrated the 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 Capitol building. So I do want to talk about that when we come back from the break. But before we leave, I do want to bring up something. Uh, Cindy Poitier passed away. Uh, uh, this this week and uh we're a men of a certain age Val <laughs> where Sydney Poitier was very important to us because uh first brother to win an Oscar. Uh uh he was in movies. Uh he was Mr. Tibbs <laughs> uh and, and all kind of things. Talk to me real quick about the importance of Sydney Poitier
0: before we take this break. Cindy Poitier uh, was a hero, he was a legend in my time growing up, watching movies like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and a lot of the other ones that you just mentioned. But some of the, the few movies that didn't get the, the, the acclaim, acclaim and glory that those did with movies like Buck and the Preacher, uh, where he and Harry Belafonte starred in a Western and that was unheard of for African-Americans not only to star, But in a Western where you got to ride horses and do those things that they had told you that only white people do well. Uh, So this guy was multi-talented. He was good. But I think the thing that impressed me most that I liked most about Cindy Portier was the fact that he did things his own way. Uh, He did not compromise uh, in order to succeed. Uh, He said he wanted to play a particular role a certain way. Uh, like in uh, Mr. Tibbs uh, slapping the white guy the white guy slapping him and he slapping him back that wasn't supposed to be a part of the original scene and Portier said I wanted to be that way I wanted to show that the new black man is not submissive anymore Uh, and so I like that about him that he went beyond just the scripts and just uh, his role Uh, and and to be on the big screen. And he did a lot of things off the big screen too, Ed, as you're aware, he and Harry Belafonte uh, was about the Mississippi Freedom Riders and funding that uh, uh, movement and doing many things that they could uh, to raise money in the North, uh, providing themselves uh, all over the, the scope of things to make sure that that movement uh, caught fire and did what it did. They know that they could not go and ride on the bus themselves uh, in 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 those kinds of uh, uh, freedom rides, but they could do what they could do. And I I really, he was a big hero for me, and I'm glad that people recognizing his work.
1: Yeah, indeed. So uh, we're going to take a break. On the way out, you're going to see Sidney Poitier. He's going to be talking about him winning the Oscar. Uh, And then we'll be right back and we're going to talk about the danger of the, I don't even want, I don't even know if it's the Republican Party anymore, Val, but the danger of these people who may push us into armed conflict. So we'll be back after this message. The,
4: The receipt of the Oscar. There is no honor in the motion picture business
2: that exemplifies all
4: the things that one could possibly reach for.
1: Because it is a long journey to this moment, I am naturally indebted to countless numbers of people, principally among whom are Ralph Nelson, James Poe, William Barrett, Martin Baum, and, of course, the member of the Academy. For all of them, all I should say is a very special thank you. It was amazing.
4: It was amazing, 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 amazing. It wasn't the poorest countries that were at the highest risk of conflict, or the most unequal, or the most ethnically or religiously heterogeneous, even or even the most repressive. It was living in a partial
1: democracy that made citizens more likely to pick up a gun and begin to fight.
4: No swear, right?
1: We're a- and welcome back to our second segment of The Deal. I'm your Jose Clark. That's Val Atkinson. Uh, we uh, ended up the segment talking about Sidney Poitier because uh, a seminal figure in not only in cinema and film, which I love, I'm a I'm a cinephile, I love movies, particularly old movies, and uh, Sidney Poitier movies uh, uh, are stunning from a lot of standpoints for Black men of our age, Val, because you saw people like Sidney Poitier, and you mentioned Harry Belafonte and people like that doing things that black men could not do out in normal society. You could not slap a white man. <laughs> uh, you you know um, you you could not play the cowboy in 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 the movies and all that stuff. And they forced those roles to happen. And I think they are the progenitors of Denzel Washingtons and people like that. So without Sidney Poitier, you don't have. Denzel. Anyway, um, the clip you saw coming back in was of Mah- Mahdi Hassan and his show on Peacock Network. And he had a clip up there, Val, and he was talking about how civil wars start. I I, I, I hate to even go here. You know, we try to not be hyperbolic, right? We try not, you know, I because I, I, I avoided for the longest time talking about fascism as it related to Donald Trump. and and not wanting to do the comparisons with Mussolini and Hitler and Donald Trump. But the the fact is, is that we are in a territory where there were, I don't care if it was two people, there were people dumb enough to show up on one six at the Capitol thinking that they were gonna force Donald Trump back into office (laughs) some kind of way. And that is a very short leap from taking up arms. So I'm gonna ask you to go back to 18, late 1850s with me. Uh, I wasn't there, you weren't there, we were close. But but take me back to the time of these know nothings, right? The, the people who would eventually push us into the Civil War, uh, the people who wanted the South to be free to keep, Negroes as slaves the people who wanted to keep all the institutions that they had regardless of whether or not it was good for the whole you know group of people that we call americans right we have a similar group of people now who are know-nothings who would don't want to take the vaccine and they they constantly talk about immigrants and and all that kind of stuff can you draw any parallel uh from the late 1850s to now, Val. Uh, Put on your professor hat.
0: Yes, yes, it's one of my favorite hats to put on uh, to talk about the parallels and to make people be aware uh, that we are not so far removed from the repeat of history uh, as it was played out uh, from 1850, uh, really right on on through uh, Reconstruction. I'd like to take a plug for a particular book by John Ashworth, Uh, he has a two volume set and it is entitled, uh, Slavery, Capitalism and Politics in the Antebellum Republic. And the first volume goes uh, from 1820 to 1850, when they talked about uh, commerce and, and, and compromise. And then the next volume goes from Uh, 1850 on throughout the uh, end of the Civil War. And what we find out from these kind of collections that Ashworth uh, came about and put forth is that the Republican Party was nonexistent prior to 1854. It was just born in 1854. This is four years after the big compromise about how they're going to work things out about slavery and and how the states were going to do. So the Republican Party didn't come to effect until 1854. But prior to 1854, there were all of these debates going on, and after 1854, between a guy named Lincoln and Douglas. So people knew uh, where the Republican Party stood. Lincoln was a representative of the Republican Party. And the South The people in the South that valued slavery, wanted slavery, knew that if this guy, Abraham Lincoln, and the Republicans get in office, we can say bye-bye to slavery. He's going to kill it. So we got to do everything we can to keep this guy out of office. Fast forward a lot to 1860, November of 1860, Lincoln wins the election. Uh, and shortly after that, what happens, uh, I think it was December the 20th, is South Carolina decided to secede from the union. But key here, Ed, is the fact that they didn't decide that on a whim on uh, the November the uh, 8th or 6th, I think it was, of 1860 when the vote was cast. They knew this is what they wanted to do all along. So they had plans. They were ready to go. They had, uh, there's a book entitled The Apostles of Disunion, where they had commissioners to go out to the various states to convince the various states to join us in our secession. They were serious about this long before they succeeded. And, And finally, it happened on, I believe it was December the 20th, of 1860, they succeeded uh, uh, from the Union. And they began to get other states to follow them. They began to usurp and incorporate and just take over everything that uh, w- was in the boundaries of this particular state as theirs, including a place called Fort Sumter in South Carolina. The they, uh, Confederates said, this is ours now. It's no longer yours and the United States of America did absolutely nothing. As a matter of fact, they acquiesced and turned Fort Sumter uh, officially over to the Confederates on the evening of, or the morning of uh, April the 12th of 1861 when they were fired upon 36, 30 hours later, they surrendered. They hoisted up the white flag and surrendered Fort Sumter. And then that's when the Civil War started. Lincoln was finally embarrassed and he had to pull up 75,000 troops. Uh, Can this kind of thing happen again today? It's already happening, I submit to you. It is already happening, but in a different way. We have people now doing things instead of storming Fort Sumter, flying rounds into it. They're going online, they are doing things. they got TV programs. They're lying to you like you talked about, Ted Cruz, just a few minutes ago. Uh, Yeah. They're already doing these things. They're storming the Capitol. To me, the storming of the Capitol on 1-6 is the equivalent of firing on Fort Sumter at 4.30 a.m. on April the 12th of 1861 yeah same difference same look uh
1: i want to remind you you're watching the deal i'm ed clark that's val atkinson i know you probably think you're in a history class at north carolina central university but no you're watching the deal and it's saturday uh january 22nd 2022 and we're talking about december 1860 and, 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 and that whole period, and, and, and you're probably going, wait a minute, that's a long time ago. Uh, Val, uh, I wrote a piece this week uh, about uh, the speech that uh, the President Biden gave, but I also wanted to frame it in historical context too. On January 6 1901, in the Dunn Democrat, newspaper in Harnett County, which is where I was born. Uh, So about 60 years before I was born, that January 6th edition of the newspaper had two articles on the front page. And they were about the lynching of two Black men. One was in Alabama, and one was between Harnett and Sampson County. And in the article, they were matter of fact about how these Black men deserved their punishment. One the guy in Sampson County was accused of stealing a hog and the one in Alabama was accused of fighting back against a white man who had hit him first. And in both cases, them being killed was irrelevant to the writer of the article. What mattered was that Negro stayed in line. And what also mattered is that white men had an obligation to take up arms to defend in the case of the hog that was stolen in supposedly in Sampson County, somebody else's property. This is a long way around to ask ask you this question. What makes white men think that they can take up arms to defend the property of somebody whose hog was stolen to kill a man. And in the article, it talked about how the family was told they had 24 hours to get out of Harnett County and never come back to North Carolina. What emboldens people to think they can attack the Capitol to put Donald Trump back into office, but also to protect this woman's hog that was supposedly stolen. Doesn't that come from this notion that's been here the whole time that white men have ultimate authority to use violence and force to get what they want.
0: It does, Ed, and it's also rooted uh, in the notion of policing in America, where it all started with uh, the average citizen uh, having the responsibility to save the entire community against uh, Indian uh, uh, revolts, slave revolts, and attacks from anything and anybody. And in in many cases, South Carolina being among them, where the Black population uh, was larger than the white population, it was important that you convince people of color to manage themselves because you didn't have enough white people to do it properly. So you had to do things to convince them that it was almost impossible and stupid and crazy to go against the rules set up by these white guys, okay? So you made example out of people and you hung them from trees and you set them on fire even after they were dead and all of these crazy things. that, that was the purpose to convince black folks to know their places and stay in them. And that same same thing uh, was playing out in the case of the Mac Michaels, when they uh, track down Aubrey, Aubrey, uh, Ahmad Aubrey, and killed him in Coldwood, it was the same thing—protecting the property. You talk about the hog that was being protected 60 years before your birth. It's the same thing. These guys were protecting property of people they didn't even know. And they didn't even know. They didn't I, even know.
1: That's a good point. I hold it right there. Let's play a clip from the judge in the sentencing of the Beck Michaels. Hold on, just a minute. Let me start with this statement. As we all now know,
4: based upon the verdict that was rendered in this court in November, Ahmaud Arbery was murdered. It's a tragedy. It's a tragedy on many, many levels. Almost 20, uh, I'm sorry, on February 23rd of 2020, almost two years ago, a resident of Glenn County, a graduate of Brunswick High, a son, a brother, a young man with dreams was gunned down in this community. As we understand it, he left his home apparently to go for a run, and he ended up running for his life. He entered the English home at approximately 1.04 p.m. and left that home at about 1.08 on that day. At 114, Greg McMichael calls 911 to let them know that there's a black male running down the street, and within moments, Ahmad Aubrey is shot and killed. The three men that are now before this court chased him in a residential neighborhood for at least five minutes in pickup trucks, armed with a shotgun and a 357 revolver. The state. Mentioned this today about the time period, but I do want to put that time period in context. And the only way I could think to do so may be a little theatrical, but I think it's appropriate. I want to solve get a concept of time. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit silently
1: for one minute. So, Val, there you go. The judge says, you murdered Ahmed Aubrey. You got in a pickup truck, chased him down. You had two rifles and a 357 Magnum. You murdered this man, and they got life in prison. How That is a far cry from what I had expected when I first heard this. The second show of the deal, we had the young man who was standing in front of the courthouse every day trying to get people to pay attention to a med Arbery case. And he's the one who got people to pay attention to get this case to court. And I'm gonna try to go back and find some of that video because uh, the, the the young man was a friend of Ahmed Aubrey. They had gone to high school together. He he wanted to know why nobody was paying attention. And then it, it took two years, but it happened. Val, but what I'm afraid of is that there's still too much of this attitude that, like you said, I can defend somebody else's property, but I could also defend Donald Trump's bruised ego. That they fight very hard for Donald Trump's bruised ego and will try to put him back in office. Let, let's let's uh, square this because there's a, there's a knock on effect here. You already talked about our pal, Irv Jorner. Saying how important it is to participate in local elections and making sure things happen the way they should happen, you know, that way. But there's a movement afoot, obviously. We're in North Carolina. There's a trial going on right now uh, about the districts that uh, and what they're going to look like ultimately uh, when people go to vote. And there's a lot of shenanigans going on, Val. I wanna talk about that, but we're gonna be running up on a break, so let's do this. Let's take a break. On the way out, I'll play the video of some of the court, what's going on at the court, and then we'll come back, we'll talk about it, all right? So let's take a break. You're watching the deal, we'll be back in just a minute.
5: We're intentionally drawn to entrench Republican dominance in North Carolina's congressional delegation and in both chambers of the General Assembly.
4: AN ATTORNEY FOR REPUBLICAN LEGISLATORS TRIED TO UNDERCUT THE VARIOUS EXPERTS WHO TESTIFIED AND FOUND THAT THE MAPS THEY DREW WERE MEANT TO BENEFIT REPUBLICANS AND MAKE IT HARDER FOR DEMOCRATS TO TAKE POWER.
3: WHEN I THINK OF THESE SIMULATION EXPERTS, I THINK ABOUT THE WIZARD OF OZ. AND THEN WHAT YOU LEARNED WAS THAT THE WIZARD OF OZ was nothing more than a man behind the curtain.
4: Republicans have said this was the most transparent process in state history. However, we learned in the trial that Representative Dustin Hall looked at so called concept maps behind closed doors before going into the public room and drawing the districts for the state house.
5: Maps that were never disclosed, maps that have since been destroyed. We'll never see them.
4: Hall said he viewed them for a matter of seconds, but drew the maps he wanted.
3: This is just simply the hallmark of a weak case. Ignore the actual legislative record. Ignore the actual maps
1: and focus on the shiny irrelevant object in the corner. And welcome back to our third and final segment of The Deal. I'm your host, Ed Clark, that's Val Atkinson. A very spirited show today, Uh, a lot to talk about. When we took the break on the way out, you saw a clip of the proceedings going on in in court in North Carolina, a special panel of judges is hearing arguments over whether or not the uh congressional districts and and well if the district's period in North Carolina were drawn fairly Val Atkinson we have a buddy uh uh Herb Joyner, that we do a show called Connections with and I'll, I'll I'll encourage people to listen to the show uh Sunday uh January 9th Herb is going to be on there we're going to be talking about this issue in a little more detail but in, in the meantime uh He's fond of saying that there's shenanigans going on, Val. Uh, Talk to me about the shenanigans that are going on in North Carolina and why it's important that we pay attention to what this uh, three-judge panel
0: decides. It's all around the whole notion uh, of redistricting. Uh, And uh, Republicans uh, hold the majority uh, in both houses of the legislature in North Carolina. Uh, And they're about the business of trying to draw the maps based on the 2020 census. And uh, people think there's some shenanigans going on that is supposed to be open to the public, the whole process. And they are finding out that one of the members uh, went to the back room by himself uh, without anybody knowing anything and rigged the drawings and did some other things and then came out to try to pretend that he's starting afresh and everybody can can participate in it. Uh, Right now, if they have their way in, North Carolina will move from uh, 13 uh, congressional districts to 14, 13 house districts to 14. Uh, Right now, today, we have five Democrats holding office We're we're, we're nine and and we're, what's that, eight and five today. So once the Republicans redistrict, it looks like right now, uh, unabated, they would move up to 11 and three. That's because we've gained one uh, district through population. And that population has come basically from an increase in black and brown people. But yet and still, Republicans, who is predominantly a white political organization, they, they get the spoils of that and go from uh, nine, uh, um, eight and five to 11 and three. And that's the bad part about redistricting. That's the shenanigans that it, Jonah is talking about. So something's got to be done about that. Uh, a, a, a three judge panel is gonna be making a decision on that. Uh, we'll heard from them uh, coming up real soon on what their decision is about whether or not this uh, uh, redistricting process that went on in North Carolina uh, was fair and done properly and under all of the rules and laws uh, pertinent to that process. So we're gonna see what happens with that. But there's no way that with the population the way it is that Republicans who make up 30% or less of the population of the state of North Carolina should hold 11 of the 14 uh, house seats uh, for the congressional delegation.
1: Yeah, so Val, here's the other problem. Uh, A friend of this program and of connections, GK Butterfield, who is a representative right now will not be he's announced his retirement and we've talked about it here on this program but i don't know if people realize how bad that is uh you know not only is he a a voice for african americans but he's a voice for folks in eastern north carolina uh what you might get will probably not be the same kind of effective legislator that you got from a gk butterfield and you certainly won't get a black person uh so that the the, the fallout from this is much worse uh, for uh, Black folks who live in Eastern North Carolina. You lose a voice uh, in in representation. Uh, I have slim hope that this three judge panel will do the right thing and, and force this to go back, but I still think the Republicans still are gonna have an advantage. You talk about this often, Val, uh, there's other court cases that said it's okay to do political gerrymandering, right? Haven't we seen this recently from the na- from the Supreme Court at the national level? Have they not
0: allowed some of this? The case that you you're talking about Ed, is Chiavalo versus Washington, where the court basically was taking up an issue uh, involving gerrymandering, uh, and the outcome of that particular case was that racial gerrymandering is unconstitutional, but it allowed partisan or political uh, gerrymandering uh, to stay in effect, It says okay uh, for uh, a party to gerrymander its own advantage into the redistricting process as long as it does not have racial overtones. So that's what they're trying to work through and skirt the corner zone. They're trying to use race to determine how to draw the lines, but make it look as if they did not use race to draw the lines.
1: Yeah, so we we know that they did. I'm sure those maps that no longer exist that we we can't see anymore because they were destroyed, and and they claim they only looked at for a few seconds, right? Mm-hmm. You know. That we we know that those maps probably had everything to do with race, and the reason why they are in the dustbin of history is because they didn't want anybody to know that what they were doing, that they were considering race. So Val, um, I'm trying to figure out. Then uh, we still don't have any movement forward on HR one and HR four at the national level. They've passed the House. And so real quick, I'd like for you to explain what H.R. 1 and H.R. 4 are. And then the second part of that is, can you talk to me about why in the Senate we're still having to depend on Joe Manchin and Christian Sinema to, (laughs) to do the right thing? They didn't do the right thing on the Build Back Better. Should we even have even the a slightest expectation they'll do right
0: about this? Well, the la- your last question first, uh, no. Uh, I would not devise a strategy that depended upon uh, Joe Manchin and Krista Cinema to do the right thing. If you do that, you really don't have a strategy because the success of the strategy is not in your hands, but in somebody else's hand. And anybody, any good HR person will tell you that should not be a performance expectation at all uh, if it's not in the hands of the employee. So no, 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 you shouldn't even bring them up. You should assume that they're gonna be against this and go forth and develop a strategy based on that opposition that you expect to get from them. But your first question had to do with what what is this HR1 and HR4, and if I could take a second, it's only uh, one sentence long for, the, for one, and I think two sentences long uh, for two. So let, let, let's go with that right now. H.R. Uh, 1 says, uh, uh, an act to expand America's access to the ballot box, reduce the influence of big money in politics, strengthen ethics rules for public servants, and implement other anti-corruption measures for the purpose of fortifying our democracy and for other purposes. That's H.R. 1. H.R. 4 uh, says this bill establishes new criteria for determining which states and political subdivisions must obtain pre clearance before changes to voting practices may take effect. Pre clearance is the process of receiving pre approval from the Department of Justice of the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia before making legal changes that would affect voting rights. And if I could go on just a second further, a state and all of its political subdivisions shall be subject to preclearance of voting practices changes for a 10-year period if 15 or more voting rights violations occurred in the state during the previous 25 years, 10 or more violations occurred during the previous 25 years, at least one of which was committed by the state itself, or three or more violations occurred during the previous 25 years and the state administers the election. Uh, This uh, H.R. 4 is a direct uh, response from the Supreme Court decision of Shelby County versus Holder where this uh, 1965 Voting Rights Act was actually gutted. And during the gutting of that and the response, one of the things that people don't talk about enough, in my opinion, is the fact that the court said that the Congress should rewrite section four of the Voting Rights Act. And section four said, who, which state or subdivision came under the control of the auspices of the 1965 Voting Rights Act. And that was based, the old section four, was based on what was your voting registration and voting numbers in 1964. So what the Supreme Court is saying, rewrite that and have it to be more relevant because some states that were awful in 64 have gotten a little better now. Some people that were not so bad in 64 may may be horrible now, so it's not relevant. And to a degree, they they stumble up against something that is hard to argue against. But that's what H.R. 4 is doing. It is trying to do what the Supreme Court asked them to do and rewrite the whole free deal so that we can reinstitute uh, the 19, uh, the,
1: uh, 1965 voting rights act. Yeah. You know, Val, we started the program way, way back, uh, in this hour, talking about the idiot, uh, who claimed that we have voting problems that need to be rectified by putting him back into office, Donald Trump. He says that there's widespread voter fraud, and then all these laws that are draconian voting laws that are being passed, not laws to make it more accessible or easier to vote is what we should be doing, right? You, you should be having these fake audits like the cyber ninjas. You should be banning people passing out water for people standing standing in line. You should reduce the number of days to vote. Uh, you should not have weekend voting. You shouldn't make it your know, drive-through voting, any of those kind of things that would help people to participate in democracy. Uh, We've talked a lot today on on the program about how this uh, assault against democracy, the assault against voting uh, is is really what's causing us the problem. Now, uh, I want to play a clip real quick. This is Jen Psaki, who is the uh, press secretary for the president, talking about what he plans to do in the coming week. President Biden's case for voting rights legislation
4: be any different than the many arguments we've heard him make before in favor of that legislation?
5: Well, he has made many arguments uh, in favor of voting rights legislation before. Now, we, he is going to be delivering uh, this speech at a time where it is. Uh, going to be under active discussion and debate in the Senate, uh, which is an important component, and in the week leading up to Martin Luther King Day, uh, which is an important moment to remember and recognize uh, many of the sacrifices uh, that important leaders in our history have made. I will say he's going to Georgia because Georgia is one of the many states where corrupt acts on the constitutional right to vote and the integrity of elections have taken place based on the big lie. It was also pivotal to the civil rights movement. It's important to underline that while these un-American efforts are being driven by the big lie, they're also in line with some of the worst episodes of the past. But what I think you will hear him say, and the, Vice President, of course, talk about as well, is about the urgent need to pass legislation to protect the constitutional right to vote and the integrity of our elections. He'll talk about the specifics, and he's very focused on people in the country, understanding and knowing uh, what is in this legislation. Why is it so important to pass these pieces of legislation? What is at risk? What needs to be protected? And I think you'll hear him talk about that. Uh, And he also wants to, of course, restore the Senate uh, working, uh, which is not happening right now, as is evidenced by the fact that they have blocked even the ability to vote on uh, voting rights legislation four times. So uh, he'll outline all of that, but he will make a passionate case, as he has made, as you said, in the past, uh, for why we need to move forward with voting rights legislation.
1: Okay, Val. So uh, Joe Biden's going to go to Georgia. He's going to make some more speeches. He's going to talk about H.R. 1, H.R. 4, and need to do something about voting. He's going to Georgia specifically because it makes sense, you know, historically, uh, it, it, you know, tying it to Martin Luther King and, and King Day and all that kind of thing. Um, let's talk about realism here. Yeah. Uh, there are people who have been able to get people on school boards, so we, we won't talk about history. I won't say critical race theory, because we never were talking about that in elementary school, right? They don't want you to learn history. And today, I've been trying to focus a lot on history. In my piece this week, I've been trying to focus a lot on history. We've talked a lot about the historical uh, linkage between late 1850s to today, We've talked about the possibility of civil war in terms of history because we're set up in a way, you know, with people divided the way they are that we could launch into this. I guess my question, Val, uh, is what kind of hope do we have if we're still having to sit here and give people basic, elementary, historical facts about how voting has been suppressed? How we, how we got to the Civil War, how we were still lynching people in 1901 in Harnett County over hogs. I mean, and people don't know any of that stuff. And we're having to try to do it now. What hope do we have now to get HR1 and HR4 passed?
0: Well, getting back to what you said earlier, it, uh, you know, the passage of HR1 and 4 really have to do with Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema. Uh, HR stands for House, <laughs> you know, House of Representatives. Uh, these bills came from the House. They they have to now be passed by the Senate. It has to be a SB one, SB four, whatever the number happens to be, and that's where you got to go through Mansion and Senate. And if you don't do that, uh, you got problems. So what we need to do is. We need to make, instead of going out and making another speech about how important H.R. 1 and H.R. 4 are, I already know that. Why are you telling me that, okay? You need to be figuring out what is your strategy under the assumption that you don't have support from a mansion and Sam Talk to me about that. Or you don't have to talk to me about that. Just go do it. Put it in effect. But that's what you need to be doing because going out Telling me about four and one is like you are coming up to me, you are EMS, EMT kind of guy, saying, man, you're losing a lot of blood. Is it? I know you're paining, you know? My goodness, your, your, your pulse is way down. Does that hurt, you know? <laughs> Look, why are you telling me about a condition I already know about? I want you to fix it, okay? And stop telling me about it. You know, and that's what we got to stop doing as Democrats. You're telling people who are suffering, oh, man, you are bleeding bad. Yeah. Oh, man, your head is half open, man. Hey, man, it's horrible. This is terrible. You must be painting. I know that. Can you help me?
1: Can you help me? (laughs) Well, look, Val, before we run out of time, we got to talk about one other thing. And that's Omicron uh, and COVID-19 in general. Play a clip real quick, and then we'll talk about it.
0: What's the biggest mystery with Omicron into this weekend? I
3: think really it,
4: it circles around the issue of why this virus seems to be so much more transmissible. Certainly, you know, it has mutations that can invade some of the immune responses that vaccines give you. But it really does seem like this virus is spreading better than other variants for other reasons. And right now, we don't really understand what that is. But certainly, it seems like people are getting infected in, in conditions that previously were highly unlikely uh, to mediate infection. And that's Fueling this massive surge of cases, uh, transmission is something that's really difficult to study in a laboratory, but it really is one of the things that Omicron is doing, fantastically better than any previous variant we've seen.
1: So, well, that that is a uh, 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 professor from John Hopkins who who uh, was talking to Bloomberg there, saying that uh, Omicron is is a problematic because we can't figure out how it spread so fast compared to Delta, that, that that this thing is out of control. Uh, uh, ERs are full, ICUs are full, testing is a problem. We haven't been able to get a hold of that. Yesterday it was announced uh, that 500 million test kits are gonna go out uh, with the help of the Postal Service and, and some other agencies. Uh, I'm... I've given up on certain folks, Val. We talk about it here. I've been boosted. You've been boosted. Whenever the next booster comes, I'm going to get it. Uh, There's some people that are just rational and some people who are not rational. Kyrie Irving, uh, um, (laughs) Djokovic uh, 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 on the tennis side. Aaron
0: Rodgers.
1: (laughs) Aaron Rodgers. I don't have time for them anymore, Val. I'm tired of seeing the stories about people who... Are on the right uh, talk show hosts, uh, right wing religious folks, or whatever, who are on their deathbed and then say, "I wish I had gotten," and then they set up a GoFundMe page. I don't want. I'm not contributing to your GoFundMe page. I'm not. You you caused this. This we are we are two years into, and as I stated at the beginning of the program, this program started because of COVID. because we weren't sure what we were going to be able to do with our regular show, Val. Uh, Real quick, COVID, uh, where are we? Uh, What's going to happen in the next
0: couple of weeks? I know a lot of people are going to die. Yeah, a lot of people are going to die. Unfortunately, uh, we don't have the control over COVID uh, that we would love to have. And in the meantime, we need to follow the advice of the experts, the professionals, the scientists, when they say we need to continue the mask, we need to continue to get uh, vaccinated. vaccinated. And when they say these things, to me, the most important one is vaccination. Uh, It it hurts to know or to hear that some of our leaders, some of our social leaders uh, are doing things that would give really attention and and, and credibility to those who would not participate in in recognizing the horror of this disease. It is unbelievable that people like Kyrie Irving and Aaron Rodgers would allow their following, their base to believe that it's okay if you don't uh, consider uh, Covid, anything more than just a common cold, you don't you don't have to do anything about that, and they're just doing this stuff for control. But when I consider Kyrie Irving's uh, past, and and I gotta say, for full disclosure, disclosure, is that uh, I'm a Duke fan, and Kyrie Irving played his uh, collegiate ball at Duke University, so I can say this, being a Dukey myself. That this guy was a part of, uh, or at least indicated that he may be a part of the Flat Earth Society. So anything that comes out of his mouth now doesn't surprise me. I mean, you know, people got rid of that Flat Earth thing back in the 15th century, you know, way, way back when. And now he's still talking about it. So, it, it doesn't surprise me at all, but it just goes to show you, Ed, how far we've got to go. And actually how uninformed, how gullible, I think is a better word, some Americans are. I think we all need to step back for a minute and deal with that particular notion. The gullibility of the average American Without the type of gullibility that we have, we wouldn't be in this situation right now, with Donald Trump or COVID. Yeah, yeah. Without a gullible American to allow Trump to proceed and not allow uh, the scientists to get a better hold on COVID, yeah, it's gullible Americans.
1: You're absolutely right. I'm gonna play one more clip uh, before we wrap this up. This is. Uh, uh, Justice Sotomayor or, uh, uh, asking a question in the Supreme Court. Yeah, I told you i listened listen to the Supreme Court arguments. Uh, listen to this real quick. One to three percent of employees will quit. That is significant. Our declarations in Appendix 308,
3: 316. Counsel, uh, yes, that may be true. But we are now having deaths at an unprecedented amount. Catching COVID keeps people out of the workplace for extraordinary periods of time. And there have been proof in certain industries like the medical industry that when um, vaccines are mandated and there's no mandate here for a vaccine, there is a masking mandate no different than there is. Um, when we tell people that if there are sparks flying in the workplace where you have workers have to be provided, have to wear a mask. So that's no different to, in my mind than this. So this is not a vaccine mandate. There are costs and deaths and other things countervailing to the fact that there might be one to three percent of workers who leave.
1: So Val, that's Missouri versus uh, Joe Biden state of Missouri doesn't want to put in mandates, which is to your point, which is the only way we're going to get our way out of this, which which it speaks to the piece that I wrote the week before, which is about wear a damn mask, period. Stop it, stop it. You're killing people. You're killing people. I know people who are sick right now. I know people who have died. I know people who are in very serious condition right now because of Omicron and, and I need for people to uh, do better. Look, man, we're running out of time here. So as I always do, since we talked about all this bad stuff, tell me something good. What I got to look forward to in the
0: next week, Val? <laughs> well, the biggest thing is tomorrow morning at 8 uh, o'clock on Radio 1, uh, Foxy 107-104, uh, we have our uh, 1502 session. The 1502nd edition of Connections will air. And uh, you are on there along with Irv Jonah and myself. And we're talking about, uh, believe it or not, not so many things unsimilar to what we've been talking about here today. Uh, So, all of that and more on tomorrow morning at eight o'clock. Please tune in, folks. I think you'll enjoy.
1: Yeah, well, you know, uh, I'm looking forward to that tomorrow. It's like talking to Irv Jonah. Look, uh folks uh there's a lot of serious things going on we talk about serious stuff here we also talk about nonsense here too uh but the, the bottom line is uh we have got to do better uh i know the human condition is something that we've been struggling over since we've been humans right that's why there's religions and factions and all kind of stuff is people trying to answer those tough questions guess what Fal has the answer for you. You don't have to go anywhere else. He already told you what you needed to do. So if you come back here on Saturday mornings or on Sunday mornings, listen to Connection. Fal's going to tell you exactly what you need to do. We solve your problem. Look, this is the beginning of a new year. We hope everybody had a safe and prosperous holiday season. Uh, King Day is next, uh, and uh, make sure that on that day you go out and do something good for somebody. But for the rest of today. Go do something good for somebody. We'll see you next week. Bye.